Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of uh, Healthy Matters here on this Sunday morning. As I mentioned, good morning to you, Dr. Hill. Good morning, good Danny. You, you uh, had the chance to see uh, uh, the Eagles and Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, about six hours ago, I was right here downtown <laughs> at Target Field. That was a great show. Um, I, I was telling, uh, as we were talking just before we went on the air, I've never seen so many parrot heads and men of a certain age wearing wearing Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops and... Uh, but it was a good show. Oh, it was great. We sang to Cheeseburger in Paradise and <laughs> Margaritaville, and, and, and then the Eagles came on. It was a great show, and I thought it was going to rain, but it didn't, so that was nice, and it was just a beautiful night to be out. It was packed. At one point, they turned on all the, the floodlights on Target Field, and I've never, it was just a sea of people on the, on oh, the, I bet. On the field. Um, and the only, you know, the only portion of the field that didn't have people on it was the infield. They had, you know, marked off the infield. But other than that, it was just a sea of people, and every seat in the place was full. It was great. Although I'm a little tired. Well, you've now. been you've been uh, working at the hospital uh, overnight, right? I've been doing some night shifts, which that's a really interesting thing because I don't do many night shifts, just a half a dozen a year, maybe. But I have to do my share. But your body, I, I just hats off to people who work night shifts or, you know, the graveyard shift or yeah. swing shifts in the evening because it is so hard to, to, to adjust to that. And, um, and so I've been sleeping all during the day. Um, how, did you, how did you do in medical school when you had to do these? Yeah, it was hours. hard then too, but, you know, I was a little bit younger. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> that it, is it was, true. It was hard. It was hard then. But uh, uh, we, we no longer – Fortunately, we no longer do the shifts that I did in my training, which were usually 30 to 36 hours long. Oh, yeah. It's just ridiculous. I mean, whoever thought of that and thought that would be a good that idea. Was, yeah. I, would go, I would go in my shift in the morning at about 7 a.m., and I would come home at 7 p.m. the next day, so yeah. 36 hours. And that's just not right. And, 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 and not only that, you can't sleep well um, the next day. And um, so anyways, we don't do that anymore. That's good. Now we just do, but somebody has to be in the hospital. So right. we do overnight shifts of 8, 9, 10 hours so, or, or 11 hours. Probably healthier for the patients it's too. It's better for everybody. It's <laughs> yeah. better for the patients. So I'm yeah. well rested when I'm there. It's just then I have to sleep all day long. And, and it's, it's a different um, – it's now that I'm back to a day schedule – 
Of course, then I went to the Jimmy Buffett Eagles concert, so I'm a little bit tired today. So fried. it's an open line show, and if I start saying mumbling my words or if I doze off, that's pe- the reason. people will know why. All right. Well, that's what we're going to be doing. It's an open line show. That means you're, you're driving the show. Your health questions for Dr. Hilden, either by phone or by text. I see one line is open if you'd like to fill it, 651-989-9226, or if you'd rather send a text. We have those coming in as well. That uh, text number is 81 81- Eight zero seven. Should we put you to work right away? Let's see what we can do. All right. Let's see who's the first top here. Uh, let's see. Jim is calling from my Sandy, I believe. Jim, you're on CCO with the doctor. Good morning, everyone. So this might come under the classific- classification as a dumb question, but I- I've heard lately that the uh, peanuts are good for heart health, and they never say whether that includes peanut butter. But I'm, I would imagine it does. Yeah, and I would say that's absolutely not a dumb question. I think it's a fantastic question. Um, you know, I, I sometimes um, wonder how to respond to the latest thing we hear about about what's good for our hearts and our health or not because it does change a lot. The one that always comes to my mind is coffee because I'm drinking a cup of coffee and one year it's good for you and the next year it's going to kill you, that kind of thing. Well – um, and so we're always trying to figure out what's good for you. But in general, peanuts are, are largely considered to be a healthy food uh, for most people. It wouldn't be if you're allergic to them or something like that. But peanuts have good protein and they have some reasonably decent fat in them. And, and the, the latest thinking is that most of the fats that we get that are from um, natural sources are probably okay for you. They're not as bad as we used to think. Um, and so uh, peanut butter... Uh, when it's processed into peanut butter, it, it retains all of um, that nutritious value. So I think, um, Jim, my short answer is that peanut butter would be a great um, alternative to regular peanuts. So I think that's a, uh, probably a pretty good thing. My only caveat to all of that is that much of the peanut butter that you might buy has been processed beyond recognition and a lot of sugar and other things have been added. So the peanut butter that's in my refrigerator needs to be refrigerated. It is we purchase it in the refrigerated section of the grocery store and it doesn't have anything else. So so in order to make like the creamy peanut butters spread so creamy and smooth, they have to add some things to it to do that. And so that's probably not as good for you all that added added stuff as just a natural less processed peanut butter. They add preservatives and they add other things to make it smooth. And so that's why um, you can just put it in your cupboard and it doesn't even have to be refrigerated. Those kind are maybe a little less healthy than just the natural ones. But I say go for it, Jim. I think it's a really good question. Actually. Yeah, good protein there. It is good, yeah. All right, let's see who's next. Uh, Janice is calling from New Hope. I believe, Janice, you're on with the doctor. Okay, this may be a little beyond his expertise, but several years ago a friend had to have hey, um her pituitary removed because she had a tumor on it and was causing severe headaches. Well, now down the line, she's having severe headaches again, and they say that she has spinal fluid in her head. Can you explain how that happens? Yeah, um, you, Janice, you're correct that a li- um, the 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 ins and outs of surgery on the brain are not my specialty. So that's that's a, actually a fair s- sentence that it's not 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 my area of, of expertise. But let me tell you a little bit. All of our brain has fluid in it. All of us. Um, they, your your fluid, your cerebrospinal fluid, or otherwise known as CSF, 
courses through the holes that are inside your brain and goes all the way down your spinal column. So we all have some of that. But it gets contained. It's contained within our central nervous system. This person who had a pituitary surgery, um, it is at least possible that something was disrupted in there and the spinal fluid is, is moving around in some places that it wouldn't have if they did not have a brain surgery. I don't know exactly what, what this particular um, problem is. I don't know what exactly they said because just the statement, she has spinal fluid in her brain, well, that's normal. It's just normal that you have that. But maybe there's an increased amount for some reason, which leads to pressure in your brain. That, that could have happened. So I guess um, the suggestion I would make then is to make sure that you go back to a neurosurgeon. The neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon, is the one who would have done that surgery and, um, and make sure that the follow-up is with that person because this is a relatively specialized thing. And in terms of pituitary tumors, those aren't all that uncommon. Really? Yeah, people can get little bitty ones that are the size of a pea, and then people can get kind of big ones like a grape or a golf ball. And your pituitary gland is sort of the master gland that sits in the middle of your brain right behind your eyes, and it controls the other glands in your body. So getting tumors on there is not all that uncommon, and a good neurosurgeon can, it's fascinating to me, but a good neurosurgeon can take them out, (laughs) and even though they sit there in your brain. So go back to the surgeon and see what's up. That's my main suggestion. Don't want to forget about our texters either. Before we take a break, uh, there's one about exercise, I believe. Is there one? Oh, here's one that says I, from the text line: I would like to start an exercise program. How do I start? How much time between eating and exercise should there be before and after? Those are good questions. And um, the exercise program that is best is the one you'll do. So it doesn't matter if that's walking or if it's going to your local gym and, and running on the treadmill or doing an elliptical machine, or it might be going to a group exercise class at your local YMCA and, and exercising with others. Whatever you can sustain, that is what's important. So I often tell people, don't do an exercise program that just you just hate because then you, you're not going to do it anyway, and then why? Well, that's just no fun anyway. So for me, I very much enjoy the solitude of running, And so I run, but my wife absolutely hates running, so we don't do it together. Um, She likes group exercise classes because there's a a camaraderie there of doing it with somebody. So so what I would suggest is find something you enjoy and start slow and gradually increase it. So maybe it's walking. So start by walking a mile four days or two days a week, then up it to four days a week, then up it to two miles, then maybe walk around a lake and it's three miles. And and, and just gradually increase it so that you're doing between 30 and 60 minutes of physical exercise every day. And that can be walking, gardening, mowing the lawn, um, dancing, yoga, all, all that stuff. And so th- th- those are my, my biggest um, bits of advice. How much time before after eating? Um, I actually eat while I'm running. So it doesn't ha- you know, I'll eat a banana and, while I'm running, but I, I'm used to that and can tolerate that. Um, generally just wait a few minutes, you know, half hour or an hour after eating a, a significant amount of food before you exercise. Okay. Maybe half hour or an hour. And I know we have to break here now, but uh, maybe we can make a mention of a couple of things going on. Right. We've got the, the Here for Health series that's coming up. We're darn near sold out, but not quite for the next session, which is features me and a colleague of mine, Jake Matlock. Um, the Here for Health series is a free um, community health series at Hennepin Healthcare at the Clinic and Specialty Center. The next one is Thursday, July 12th. There are a few seats available. 
Uh, it'll be a great session with Jake Matlock's going to show you a hands-on session about what getting a colonoscopy looks like, and he might even let a few people put their hands on the scope and play with the equipment a little bit. I'm going to be talking about how to live to be 100 or die trying. We're going to have some snacks. The parking is free. It's going to be a great event, and like I said, there are a few seats left for that one. There are, there are a few more seats available for the sessions in August and September. So I encourage you to go today to hennepinhealthcare.org slash here for health and register um, for any of these. The next one's in, in 12 days, and I will be there. It's Thursday night from 5 to 7. Again, it's free. Parking is free. The coffee is free. And the information is free. How's that? Everything's free. That, that's good. Good Hennepin, information. Hennepinhealthcare.org slash here for health. Very good. We need to take a break, Doctor. We have more show to go. We'll get the back to the phones, too, when we come back. And your text messages here on Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters this morning. It is an open line show. Your general health questions for Dr. Hilden by phone and by text. And we have a bunch, as you can see, Doctor. Let's get to it. Uh, Janet, I believe, is calling from Egan with a question. Go ahead, Janet. Yes, uh, I have a hernia in my right knee, and um, it goes. My whole uh, right leg goes to sleep, and then it wakes up. Okay, um, it's not clear to me, and it might be Janet, if the hernia and the leg thing are are related. It is possible. So your your leg usually goes to sleep when some nerves getting pinched or. or um, and usually when we lie on it wrong, and and that's called a neuropathy, but it's usually temporary, that, that numbness of us falling asleep, of your limb, that we use the term falling asleep. The hernia is a bulging in your, usually in the groin area. It can also be around the belly button and in some other places. But that usually doesn't cause pinched nerves, uh, especially down to your leg. So I don't know if those two things are related. It's possible, but I'm having a hard time making the connection. Um, as long as your leg falling asleep business doesn't last, in other words, it's just temporary, then it's probably not um, urgent. If it stays numb for a long period of time, you know, 15 minutes, half hour, or all day long, then, then you might want to go see somebody because it could be that that nerve is getting pinched somehow. So if it's a new symptom and it's really bothering you, I would see your doctor or perhaps a neurologist, and they can determine if those two things are related. And uh, in particularly, if it's lasting a long time, I would probably see a neurologist. Okay. Thanks, Janet. Uh, let's go to Dave in Northfield, and then we'll pick up on some text messages. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Thank you. Hi, doctor. Um, my uric acid count went from around 8 to a little bit over 10 this year. And I would like to know your thoughts on that and what causes it. Does lisinopril cause it and the foods you eat? I've talked to my doctor a little bit about it. Thank you. All right, Dave. Um, yes, the food. So what we're talking about, uric acid, is the causative problem in gout. Um, uric acid is a normal byproduct of digestion. So in other words, many foods, um, you know, red meats, beer, some other things like that, there's a lot um, there is a little higher amount of uric acid that gets produced from that. We all have uric acid in our body, all of us, but we want that number to be three or four or five or maybe six. When your uric acid level is eight or nine or 10, like yours, Dave, that's very high. And so you are at risk for some things happening in this case. And um, the most common thing that happens is called gout. 
And gout is where those uric acid crystals, they look like crystals under a microscope. As an aside, they're actually quite beautiful. When you look at a uric acid crystals under a microscope, they're these yellow frost-like little needly things. And when they, when they collect in joints, those joints get exquisitely painful. And that is called gout. And why it goes to joints, I'm not sure. But we've known about this since Benjamin Franklin and you know, even earlier than that. Um, you know, in Elizabethan England, people were complaining about gout. The most common place by far is the base of the big toe. That's the most common place people get gout um, at the first metatarsal head, that's called. That's called podagra when it happens there. But it can be in any joint of your body. It can be in your elbow or your, your wrist or anything like that. So that's the number one consequence of high uric acid levels. But even beyond that, if your uric acid levels are elevated, there, it is probably not good for your long-term cardiovascular health. That's, uh, it's, it's probably not good in that as well. So we would like to lower it. So if you have a, a uric acid of 9 or 10, that is getting to the point I would probably go to your primary care doctor and get it on a uric acid-lowering agent. There are several. The most common one is called allopurinol. And allopurinol is very effective at bringing those levels down, but you have to take it every single day. And then it is a good idea to um, get a list of all the foods. I can't name them all here, but get a list of the foods that are high in purine. That's what causes it, uh, one of the amino acids, and, and, and cut those back in your diet. Not maybe eliminate them, but cut them back. Just Google mm-hmm. online uh, foods that are bad for gout, and, uh, and I'm sure you'll come up with a list that way. Any side effects of that particular gout drug? There can be. It can lead to some kidney kind of issues. Um, and, and most people tolerate it just fine. Um, and as always, some people get a little nausea and that. But most people tolerate it just fine. You start really slow. You start with 100 milligrams of allopurinol. The other thing to note is you don't start allopurinol. You don't start a gout-lowering medication when you're having an acute flare-up. It can make an acute flare-up worse. So... If you're having an acute flare-up of gout, you're having a joint that's swollen, you take an anti-inflammatory, and that anti-inflammatory is something as simple as ibuprofen or naproxen. Those are anti-inflammatories. You lower the, the current acute flare-up, and then you start the allopurinol at a later time. Let's, uh, let's take a, one more. Uh, I know we have to break quickly, but Paul in International Falls has, uh, has been waiting. Paul, what is your question? Yes, good morning. Uh, I'd like to know uh, if there is any... Um treatments for BPH? Great question. There are. Um, So BPH, what Paul's talking about is benign prostatic hyperplasia. Benign means non-cancer. Prostatic is the prostate, the walnut-shaped size gland that men have. And hyperplasia means it got bigger. Hyper, too much plasia growth. It got bigger. So BPH is extraordinarily common in men of a certain age. um, It gets more as you get older, as your prostate gets bigger. It's not clear to at least it's not clear to me, but it happens to most guys. Your prostate gets bigger. And the symptoms of a large prostate are troubles urinating, troubles beginning the stream of urine, troubles stopping the stream of urine so you dribble a bit. Standing there at the urinal longer than all the other guys around you. You know, you're standing there a while while things are happening. Um, getting up at night a lot to urinate. That's a common um, complaint. And there are, there's two main treatments. The first is, is um, what are called alpha blockers. They're a vascular medication. Things like um, 
Flomax is the brand name of one of them. They simp- Don't you love that name, Flomax, because it gets the flow going better. That works in the blood vessels to allow flow to go quit more quickly through your prostate, but it doesn't shrink the size of the prostate, but that's the easiest one. The second class are hormonal. They work in the prostate to, um, to actually shrink the size of it, something like finasteride, Avidart, Proscar. Those are some of those. And those do take several weeks to work. They don't work the same day you took them, but they, say they take several weeks by actually shrinking the size of your prostate. These should all probably be done under the care of your, at least your primary care doctor. But if it's getting really bad, go see a urologist. But there are good treatments. Um, those are actually effective treatments, Paul. All right, very good. Um, uh, yes. I want to make sure that uh, the other thing that can happen to the prostate, though, is prostate cancer. Mm. So make sure that you need to see somebody first to make sure it's not a cancerous prostate. Good point. All right, we have another half hour of the show to go. If you did not get in, we're going to pick up on your text messages, too. But 81807 for your texts. Or if you want to give us a, a call, that number is 651-989-9226. Or, again, text is 81807. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. It is an open line show today. Your questions for Dr. David Hilden. Uh, drive the show either by phone or by text. Uh, let me give the phone numbers and then uh, text number two. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. But before we do that. Before we do, I'm going to talk about a few things. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening um, to uh, our program. We're in our 10th year on the air. We're very proud of that. And as part of that, we're, we've launched the Here for Health Community Education Series. The first was our live radio broadcast. Uh, that was a couple weeks ago. That was a blast. But the second, third, and fourth sessions are community education um, sessions, sort of like a mini medical school, if you will, except way more fun and a lot less expensive. And it's down at the Hennepin Healthcare um, Clinic and Specialty Center. The next one... The first of, of these series is, is done by me, um, a session called um, How to Live to 100 or Die Trying. And then my colleague, Dr. Jake Matlock, he is a gastroenterologist who is going to take us on the ins and outs of colon health. Um, it's, uh, these are going to be hands-on sessions. They're not long. The, the session goes July 12th from 5 to 7, but I'll talk for or, or interact with you for 20 or 30 minutes. Dr. Matlock will for 20 or 30 minutes. So these are short bursts of learning in a fun atmosphere, over a cup of coffee, little snacks. Um, it's going to be really fun. There are sessions again in August and September, and these are all free. And the parking is free, as is the coffee. But you do need to let us know you're coming. For the session that I am doing on July 12th, we have, I think, nearly 100 signed up. And there's seats for a few more. We're going to break the group in half so there'll be smaller learning sessions but um, you're going to want to sign up quickly, probably this week, to get in on that. So go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash here for health, here for health. And you can sign up um, for one, two, or all three of the sessions. You can also go to myhealthymatters.org where I have put a new blog post about diabetes. That features Dr. Laura Lafave, who was in the studio last week. I heard a, a great number of comments from listeners in the last week about how much they learned from Laura. She's a great doctor, a great endocrinologist, and we talked about diabetes. So I went and put a little post on myhealthymatters.org um, where uh, um, I've got a picture of Laura and we talk a little bit about um, diabetes. I put it sort of into a freshman, sophomore, junior level of, of college 
And then I'm going to do a follow-up post that goes into the senior level and the PhD level of diabetes. So just a fun way to learn about diabetes. That's at myhealthymatters.org. All right. Let's see. What is there anything else? I think that's about it for now. Okay. Um, and maybe let's uh, should we go to the text or the phone? Yeah, let's what do you start with do? the text. We've got a few of those we need to catch up. Okay. On. I'll start with. Um, there's a lot. Oh boy. Yeah. Let me go way back to the beginning. The first one that came in um, when we started off. Could you talk about actinic keratosis? Yeah. AK or actinic keratosis is a is a sun induced lesion on your skin that is a precursor to skin cancer. Now, that doesn't mean all actinic keratoses will turn into skin cancer, but they some will. So we don't leave them. So um, it is a sun damage problem. So it's usually on sun damaged skin. There are little rough patches, little bumps that are usually the same color as your own skin, although they can be slightly different color. But it's usually like a little, a little rough bump on your forehead or your arm or somewhere. And um, you, you don't see it so much as feel it. Usually we just freeze them off and then it's done. But if you can grow one, you can grow many more. So if you get an actinic keratosis, it's a good idea to have a skin check periodically every six months or maybe every year, at least every year. And it's an extraordinarily good idea to wear sunscreen always if you're getting actinic keratosis. So that's, that's, uh, that's a precursor to skin cancer. All right, let's uh, grab a phone call from Mary in uh, St. Paul. Mary, you're on with the doctor. I'm a 75-year-old woman who just was diagnosed on the 19th of June with polymyalgia rheumatica, and I it was very painful, and they put me on prednisone. Does this last a long time? Yeah, thanks, Mary, for your call. PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica, is, is one of the rheumatologic conditions in which you, you get weakness and pain, usually in what we call the proximal portions of your body. That would be your hip area and your shoulder area. So it's usually not pain and weakness at your fingertips or your feet or even your knees. It's usually closer up on your legs and your hip and closer up on your arms, like shoulder and upper arms, and it causes weakness and pain. Um, it is an inflammatory condition, so that's why inflammatory medi- anti-inflammatory medications work, prednisone being the, the classic prototype anti-inflammatory the issue with PMR is that it can, it's a chronic illness. And yes, it can go on for a great period of time. It doesn't just resolve. Uh, and so I have many patients who are on medications indefinitely for PMR, but they're well controlled. Uh, uh, the, the downside of prednisone is that it has a lot of side effects when taken for a long period of time. Shorter periods of time, prednisone has fewer side effects if you take it for a few days. But in PMR, we often have patients on prednisone for months or years. And so the trick is to take the lowest dose you can that controls your symptoms. I literally had one woman who was on 20 milligrams of prednisone, and we dropped it to 10. Then we dropped it to 9. Then we dropped it to 8. And we kept dropping the dose little by little over months and then when, we, when she fell below 8 milligrams a day, when we gave her 7 milligrams a day, her symptoms returned. So we went back to 8 milligrams a day, and it worked. But the issue is that, again, there's lots of side effects with prednisone. So there are newer medications, methotrexate. Well, that's not really new, but methotrexate. And then there's even newer biologic medications that might be a good idea. Anything to reduce your lifetime exposure to prednisone. 
um, is something that's worth looking into. So my advice, make sure you have a good rheumatologist, one that you trust in, because you're going to get a relationship with your rheumatologist. That's one that you'll see ongoing over time. I do recommend ours. We have such an outstanding rheumatology department right now, I can hardly stand it. Dr. Rawad Nasser, who's going to be a guest on the show later this summer. Uh, he's, he's our director of rheumatology. He's put together just an amazing department. So if you need a rheumatologist and you're in the downtown area or in Brooklyn Park, if you're in the northern metro, Dr. Rawad Nasser, N-A-S-R, he sees patients there. You need a rheumatologist for sure. All right. Maybe we should pick up on a text message All or two. All right. Thanks, huh? Danny. Um, let's see. Um, can you explain the stages of sleep apnea, mild, moderate, severe treatment options? Um, I would like to be able to do to talk about sleep apnea in more detail, but it's a specialty that I that I, I couldn't do in detail. But I can tell you in some level, sleep apnea is a, a condition in which you're 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 not breathing well enough overnight. The muscles and the structures of your jaw and your throat when you're sleeping literally close off the air. And so you don't get enough oxygen. And many, many times in the night, you are literally almost waking up. And that's the apnea. You're stopping to breathe, and so you wake up, and then you don't get a good night's sleep, and it, it's a cycle. So I don't know the, the exact definitions of mild, moderate, or severe, but there are really good treatments for sleep apnea. The mainstay is what's called CPAP, which is a small machine that you put at your bedside, and you put either a, a nose or a face a mask on. And that gets oxygen into your body throughout the night, and it's life-changing for many people who are on CPAP. The machines are good nowadays, and they're really modern, and they're quiet, and they're portable. So CPAP's the number one treatment. But there are others. There are dental appliances that a surgeon can kind of, a dentist can help put in. And those those are showing a lot of promise. And then there is surgery, which uh, isn't done quite as much. The main bit of advice for sleep apnea is see a, a, a certified sleep center like the one we have at Hennepin. It's called the Minnesota Regional Sleep Disorder Center. It was a pioneer in sound, scientifically-based sleep medicine way back in the 1970s, and they're still practicing today. So I wouldn't go to somebody that just set up shop in a strip mall somewhere. Go to a, um, a certified sleep center. Many of the healthcare systems have them. So. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to be having... Uh, oh, Renji Verghese is going to yes, be having, yes. for the from the sleep center. Thank you very much, yeah. Denny, for bringing that up. Um, sometime in a month or so, I can't remember the exact date, but late July or early August, Dr. Renji Verghese, who is uh, one of our sleep doctors, is going to do a whole show on sleep apnea. So keep listening. Um, it's either in late July or early August, and he's going to be on. I'm going to talk about this very topic and he is a wealth of information. He can tell this texter exactly what they, what they want to know. All right, I tell you what, before we break, and I know we have to do that, I want to get Skip in Bloomington's uh, question posed anyway. Uh, Skip, what is your question for the doctor? Hi, uh, Dr. Hill, I had triple bypass last year. Um, diagnosed at Mayo this week with um, uh, three hernias, one um, umbilical, uh, belly button, in the groin, and the other side as well. Is that normal to have that the diagnosis from the surgery? Um, thanks, Skip. It, it, not from your bypass surgery. Those are not related, I don't think. Or if they are, it's a tenuous link. Your bypass surgery up in your chest, um, probably, well, I can't imagine how it caused your hernias down in your groin or your belly button. Now, it is possible if you've had other abdominal surgeries, something in your belly, that um, that could have left a weakness in the structures there. Because that's what a hernia is. It's a defect in the 
structures of your body. In other words, the abdominal muscles, the wall of your belly has a slight defect and it allows things to bulge through, your intestines to bulge through. That's what a hernia is down there in the groin or around the belly button. And and I'm having a hard time relating that to your heart surgery. In fact, I don't think they're related at all. What I would say is that hernias are just extraordinarily common, very, very common. Um, and And you probably just happen to get them. Um, unless you had some other abdominal surgeries, in which case that could be the cause. All right, we need to take a quick break. Thank you, Skip. We'll take this break. Be right back. We may have more phone calls and text messages to uh, get answered here on the show. Healthy Matters here on 830-WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. We're taking your phone calls and text messages as usual. In fact, uh, I know we have to take uh, some text messages, pick up on those. But Sharon in White Bear Lake has been uh, waiting. Sharon, what's your question, please? My question is, what is the process to start getting a second opinion, whether it's, uh, say, through the U, Mayo, or a specialist in the city, and it has to do with glaucoma? Yeah, Sharon. Um, a lot of people always wonder about uh, second opinions. And as doctors, we don't care um, about them so much. People think, well, is my doctor not going to like it? Nah, heck no. We're all the times like we welcome you to get another opinion. So just make sure it's at a different healthcare you know system than the one you're in. You know, because you don't want to just you know get the same opinion from the same one. So so if you like in glaucoma, you can go to any place and just simply um, it's it's usually your insurance that matters. Some of them will cover a second opinion straight up. Others require a referral. I so I can't say in that case. But um, for a glaucoma specialist, darn near every healthcare system in town would have that. Glaucoma would be a very common, probably the number one thing eye doctors see. So pick an ophthalmologist that is convenient to you in whatever system you choose and just call them up and say, I need a second opinion on this. And then it kind of um, uh, it matters on what, on what insurance we'll pay for. Um, they will almost always cover a second opinion, almost always. It's just a matter of do you need a referral or something. So go to the U, go to Mayo, go, go to their websites and just go to the, the Mayo website or the U website or Hennepin's website. We have a great um, uh, glaucoma center. So go to any of them and just uh, make a phone call and tell them just what you've told me. All right. All you have to do. How about a text or two? Okay, we got a lot of texts here. I'll try to get to a few of them with relatively short answers. How dangerous is a creatinine level around two? Two is not normal. That shows kidney disease. And so it doesn't mean it's permanent, but your creatinine should be one or less or somewhere around one or less. And so a creatinine of two means your kidneys are significantly compromised for whatever reason. It can be reversed if it's a reversible cause or it might be a long-term chronic cause like diabetes. So uh, make sure you are seeing a doctor. Um, don't just ignore a creatinine of two. Um, let's see. Here's, here, ask the doctor why my blood sugar is so high every morning. During the day, numbers are decent, but the mornings are 140 to 150. So 140 for a blood sugar, if you are fasting, is in the diabetic range. Uh, 126 or higher on a fasting is diabetes. Uh, so if, if this texter, if you're already known to be a diabetic and you have diabetes, I shouldn't say diabetic, if you're already known to be living with diabetes uh, and you're, you want your blood sugars to be a, a little better controlled than if they're fasting, if they're 140s or 150s. Now, if this person who's texting, and I don't know because it's a text, if, you're, if, if these are non-fasting levels, it might not matter. Um, it just might not matter because after you eat, your blood sugar does go up. So I would tell this person, get a fasting level, nothing to eat for 8 to 10 hours. Get a fasting level and see if it's higher than 126. Um, we have time for a little bit sure. more. 
Um, I've had two bouts of diverticulitis in 2018 in the hospital once. Going forward, any advice on how to avoid a recurrence? It's difficult. Um, We don't tell people with diverticulosis, which is the presence of diverticula in your body, and we don't tell them to change your diet so much anymore. They used to say don't eat nuts and things like that so they don't get stuck in there, but we really don't tell them that. Just general good colon health. Um, Eat a lot of fiber. uh, Drink a lot of fluids. Keep your bowels moving regularly. Uh, That's about all I could say on that one. If you're getting a lot of diverticulus that's requiring you to be in the hospital, usually they do a surgery. That's the ultimate way to prevent recurrence is to take out a little chunk of your intestines that are the culprit. Um, Here's one that says, can you talk about irregular heartbeats? Today is my 55th birthday. Hey, happy birthday, texter. Today, happy 55th. This person says, I run and exercise regularly and recently started having a heart that skips a beat every once in a while. Echo checked out fine, had about three... 3,000 or 300 skips? No, I can't tell what it says. They had skips in a 24-hour period. What can I do to stop this problem from progressing? Should I continue to exercise? I always recommend continuing to exercise. If your um, irregular heartbeats are, are just what we call PBCs or PACs, just oddball beats that are, are scattered in there, they're not particularly dangerous. You don't have to really do anything. But see a cardiologist and get some other advice on that. I can't do it too much over the text line, but... Generally, you can keep exercising. We have a minute to go. And speaking of that, the heart, uh, next week's show. Next week is one you don't want to miss. Oh, no. Hennepin has a, a, an amazing person named Alicia Bravo. She is a nurse in our emergency department who had a cardiac arrest herself. And her father did CPR on her and literally saved her life. She is now an advocate for all of us learning about cardiac arrest and how you too could save someone's life. And so we're going to get Dr. Brad Bart, a cardiologist, and Alicia herself is going to be in here to tell her story. And we're going to talk about cardiac arrest and how you can help save someone's life. And in, in, it's just a fascinating story. You just want to hear her tell her story, and you're going to go, wow. That'll be that, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that'll be next, on next week's show, so don't, uh, don't miss that. In the meantime, if you need a primary care if you doc, need If you need a primary care doctor or any doctor we talk about, go to um, HCMC, which uh, uh, the – what am I trying to say? The the website, it's yeah. hennepinhealthcare.org or, or 612-873-6963. Join us again next week with more Healthy Matters here on 830-WCCO. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.